you have your Bibles, go and turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12 first. Just, I don't think I'm a little loud this morning. Just a hair loud this morning. While the Justin's, the children are leaving, Justin's adjusting that. Uh, if you want to go ahead and make a note next week, I've been trying to let you know what we'll, verses uh, the, to read for uh, next week. Uh, and so next week, if uh, you want to read ahead, uh, you need to read Genesis chapter 37 and then Genesis chapter 50. Those two chapters tomorrow, if, if you want to read 37 through 50, that'd be fine. But 37 and 50 are the two main passages of scriptures that we will uh, be at uh, next week. Uh, Sunday morning, so just so you can uh, know and and read ahead on that. And so this morning, what I want to do is uh, really look at three passages of scripture. We'll read those first, and then uh, we will talk about those passages of scriptures. I hope everyone has their, uh, some sermon notes. If you like to do those kind of things, those were in your bulletin. Uh, you can have those out and uh, and follow along. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter twelve, uh, three different places. This is Genesis chapter twelve, fifteen, and seventeen. This morning, So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if you'll turn over to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 for me this morning. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what? Will you give me, seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my, my, my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, the, the, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then this is our key verse for the day. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now turn over to Genesis chapter 17 real quick, beginning in verse 1 as well. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk with me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but, you, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you. And shall king shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you in this generation, in their generation, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. And in and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, 
As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And so in Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 17, we see the covenant that, that God is making with Abraham, the promises that, that God is making to Abraham. And as we, as we see through these promises, it, we want to see what does it mean for Abraham to respond in, in faith. Then, just like we talked about at the, at the end of last week, we want to look at how does this point us to Christ and, and these promises we have in Christ and the covenant God made with us through Christ. And then what does it mean for us to believe God and put our faith into action just like Abraham did? So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. So this picture is God is, is, is going to send a king. And, and one day his kingdom is going to expand to all the nations, to, uh, to all families on earth. And this is the picture that's set up in the very beginning of this covenant with Abraham. This isn't just a covenant between God and Abraham. It doesn't just stop there. This is a, a, a covenant really that affects uh, everyone, even us today. And so as a, as a covenant people, he, a promised inheritance on earth, I think with a global purpose. And God is going to send a king through the line of Abraham, and, and that kingdom that belongs to that king will be expanded to all the people groups of the earth. That's the promise of God to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. And that's it in a nutshell, but... We're not through, so we're going to expand on that nutshell. So uh, let's look and see. How did Abraham respond to this promise? How did Abraham respond to this promise that, Abraham, I'm going to make you one singular man, the father of many nations? How did he respond? Listen to what he says in 15.6. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Man, I just, I love Genesis chapter 15, 6, don't you? I, I, I love that. In, 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 it, just in its context, it's such an incredible scene that, that God has given us in his, in his word. God had promised back in Genesis chapter 12 that he was going to give Abraham an offspring, okay? He's going to give him a son, but it has, hasn't happened yet. We get to Genesis 15, still no son, right? And, 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 and so we, we get there and there's, there's no son yet. So Abraham is saying to God, God, you said that, that I was going to have an heir, right? God, you said that I, I was going to have a son. But the heir right now is not in my family and, and, and would be a servant in my household. I don't, I don't even have a son. You told me that my offspring was, is going to be great and, and it was going to be a great nation, but nothing has happened. Imagine that scene. And so God brings him outside and he says, Abraham, look up in the, or Abram, look up at the stars in the, in the sky. Abraham, if you can even begin to count them, he says, so shall your offspring be. You, you know what Abraham says? He, he, he doesn't say a thing. You think about that. Abraham doesn't say anything. Genesis 15 doesn't say Abraham said anything. He was speechless. In fact, there's nothing but stars and silence. As I can imagine that Abraham's looking up at the stars, and God says, you count them, if you can even begin to. That's the, the, the number of your offspring. And in the middle of the stars, there is silence. And in the middle of that, we get to verse 6, and it says, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. 
in his heart, in his mind, in his will. Abraham said, God, I believe you. God, I trust that this is going to happen. And this is the picture of faith that we see Paul talks about numerous times and others point in the New Testament talk about. This is what it means to be saved by faith, to be made righteous before God, to be reconciled to God and to be right in a right relationship with God through that kind of faith. And so when the Bible says Abraham believed in the Lord, what does that mean? And I want us to look at really four facets of what this means in this story. And first of all, Abraham to believe God means that he was transformed by the sovereign grace of God. He was transformed by the sovereign grace of God. I want you to think back with me in this. This whole story started at the end of Genesis chapter 11 and beginning of Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham was, was from Ur of the Chaldeans. This was a, a, a pagan people. This was, they were not believers. This is a pagan people in a pagan, pagan place. And so there's no indication whatsoever in Genesis chapter 11 or Genesis chapter 12 or anywhere else, that, for that matter, uh, that would cause us to believe that, 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 uh, that, that uh, or, or anywhere else that there was something in Abraham that would cause God to say to him, I need you to make, I'm gonna, I need to make you the, the father of my people. There was nothing in Abraham that, that the Bible says that, that made God say that. The initiative is completely on God. All right? And I, I want us to see that. It's completely with God. You, you see it in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 3. Five times God says, I will do this. Five times in those three verses, I will do this. You see no emphasis on, on what Abraham is doing in this picture. It's all based on the, the, the glory or the gracious initiative of God here. God is saying, I'm going to bless him. It is God calling out Abraham. Why Abraham? Uh, we know Job was, uh, most scholars believe Job was living around this time. I'm sure there were other people who were, for, were righteous people. I'm sure there were other people who were better people. I'm sure there were, were people that, that, that God could have chose, but he chose Abraham. And, and what we're seeing here is there is nothing more, that is nothing more than the sovereign grace of God at work here. He called out Abraham. He chose Abraham by his grace. And that's the story we're going to see for the, for the rest of Abraham's life. And let's admit it, the father of faith in the Bible is not always the most stellar character, is he? I mean, you think about the story of Abraham. This is a guy who's willing to lie on multiple occasions to save his skin, right? All right, this is the guy we're talking about. Lied many times. This is a guy, he almost gives his wife away to the king, or, or, or to the, the king of Egypt, right? This is, this is the guy we're talking about, the, the father of faith. This is a guy who struggles with his faith on numerous different times. But the picture is that this is intentional. This is God is showing us that the, that the picture of this covenant is not going to be based on what is found in this man or what man can produce on his own. It's going to be found in the grace of God. That's what this covenant is. And the picture is that Abraham's entire life, his, his, faith, his faith itself is evidence of God's grace in his life. He was transformed by the sovereign grace of God in his life. Amen? Second facet, what does it mean for Abraham to believe in God? It means he trusted in the sovereign guidance of God. Trusted in the sovereign, sovereign guidance of God. I want you to think about the promises God is making to Abraham here. All of them are made in contexts that seem hopeless otherwise. 
God is saying to Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great people. When the reality is between him and Sarah, number one, they're old, right? No offense, they're old, right? And, and you, you say, you're going to have a, a child, all right? So, so that's one context. Uh, Sarah is, is barren. Can you, can, number two, she's barren. Can you imagine a woman almost 100 years old walking into a maternity ward? And say, I'm, ha- I'm ready to have a baby, right? Imagine that. Some of you right now say, I can't imagine that now, and I ain't 100 years old, right? Can you imagine that, 100 years old? This is not the picture that, that we would dream up. It, it, it seems hopeless. Also, a land that he's going to bring him into it, it, it is going to belong to them. This is a land that's possessed by Canaanites, and, and they were powerful people. And, and the blessing is, is going to be to all nations. And so the guy who's willing to sell his, or give his wife away to the king of Egypt at one point is going to be a blessing to all nations? On every front, it seems like it's not going to work. Abraham struggles with that. And when you get to Genesis 15, for example, you see Abraham being honest in his struggle before God. And I love that, right? He's just honest before God. He says, God, he says, you promised me this child and I ain't got him yet. All I have is a servant in my family. And you can almost picture Abraham looking around saying, all, all of his servants have children. All of my servants have children, God. And you promised me one and I don't have one. They have boys and girls, and they're, they're, they're clinging to their garments. And Abraham's sitting there, and Sarah is sitting there alone. They're still barren, and Abraham's struggling for at least 25 years. The, the time this promise came to him, and when he actually received the heir of Isaac, 25 years. And so in the middle of all of this wrestling, I want you to, to look with me real quick at Genesis 15.1. Real quick, look at there. In the middle of his wrestling, I want you to hear what Abraham prayed. And it says in Genesis 15.1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, and I just want you to look at these first two words, Lord God. Abraham said, Lord God. And if you got a pen, pen or pencil, I just want you to underline that right there, especially that word Lord, because that, that's the title for God. Adonai, which means the sovereign one. It's the title for God that acknowledges that he is still in control. And so Abraham, right here, he's struggling with, with this, 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 this promise that God has made with him that hasn't come true yet. But yet in the middle of this struggle, he still can say, Lord God. You're still in control. Abraham, even when darkness was totally around him, when it comes to this line that he would produce, acknowledged God was still in control. He doesn't even have a son yet. A land that he's going to inherit is filled with Canaanites. He knows that still that God is sovereign. And he listen, he's struggling with his faith. There's not a confidence in Abraham at every single moment of this journey. But ultimately, he is known in Scripture for, for trusting in the sovereign guidance of God. And this is a picture of what it means to believe in God. Even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of of heartache, even in the midst of, God, I don't know what in the world is going on. He trusted that God was still in control. Praise Praise the Lord for that. The third facet of Abraham's faith, he was willing to take radical risk God says, Abraham, leave your country. Abraham, leave your people. 
Leave your family. Leave everything that is familiar and comfortable to you. And go to a place I'm not even going to show you yet. Pack up and head out. That was the call in Genesis chapter 12. He was leaving everything that was familiar, everything that was that was was that he knew he's leaving. He didn't even know where he was going. And God says, go to the land that I will show you. You talk about radical risks, right? Then you get to Genesis 15, and even when God is confirming this covenant through that, that, the ceremony, if you read Genesis 15, the ceremony where, where God tells Abraham to cut uh, the animals in half, and, and, and Abraham walks through them, and then God's uh, spirit walks through them, uh, even during the, the, the ceremonies uh, that is taking a place, He's talking about how uh, he's telling Abraham for, uh, for 400 years plus the people of Abraham, his line is going to experience suffering. For four generations, they're going to experience suffering. They're going to be servants of, of, a, of another nation. It's the picture of slavery uh, in their experience in Egypt. And, and there's going to be a, a, lots of, a lot of costs involved in this picture. That's not even mentioning when you get to Genesis 22, when Abraham is commanded by God to sacrifice his son, the picture we see is Abraham was willing to take radical risk for God. And I want you to think with me why. Why was he willing to take these risks? And it really, first of all, he wholeheartedly believed in the radical re reward of Christ. That's the next facet. He believed in the radical reward. He was willing to take radical risks because he wholeheartedly believed in a radical reward. Abraham is not taking blind leaps of faith here. He is stepping, stepping out on a dependable, proven, always faithful word of God. He believed in the reward that was found in the promises of God. A land, a people, a blessing to, to nations. In the middle of all of what he was struggling with, Abraham could walk through the process. He, he believed that God's promises were true. Even when he didn't see the results yet, he still believed God's word is true and was true. And God's promises were good and that God was going to be faithful to them. Which really leads to a deeper, deeper picture of this reward. His reward is promises of God, but also the, 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 the God of the promises. And I love that. He, the God of the promises. You get to Genesis 51 and God says, Abraham, I am your shield. Some translations say, I will be your God. And when Abraham realizes the satisfaction in his life is not found in things, but is found in God alone, it's a turning point, Right? Abraham realizes that, that these rewards are not just the, the, the things that people give him or material things, but the, but the reward is God himself. God himself. He trusted that God's, God himself was there. I, I tell you what, when the sovereign God and king of creation makes promises to you, then taking risks makes total sense because you know the reward is great. Which leads us to the last component, component of what it means to, for Abraham to believe in God. And it's this, that he was willing to die living by faith. He was willing to die living by faith. I, I, I take that phrase from one of, uh, one of the verses in Hebrews 11 when it's talking about Abraham and others like him and their faith. It literally says, all these were living by faith when they died. 
You, you hear that? Let me, let me read that again to you. All of these were living by faith when they died. And I love that phrase there. Listen, they were living by faith when they died. Living by faith in a, is a great way to die. Amen? Living by faith faith when they died. I, uh, listen, the reality is Abraham would not see the fulfillment of these promises. You think about that. Even in the short term, he would not see the people of God, his co this covenant people established in the land of Canaan. Listen, that would come way, 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 way after Abraham. The promise were, promises we're going to see that, that were unfolded the rest of the book of Genesis and then the picture of redemption that we're going to see in the book of Exodus. Abraham didn't experience any of that. But listen, he still trusted in God. And, and he died living by faith. Which really points us to the fact that Abraham believed in the promises of God were, were even deeper than, than what, we're going to, what was going to happen in the rest of Genesis, into Exodus. Even Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua as they entered into the promised land. And judges, when, when a king would come eventually for the people of God and, and then King David, the reality is all these promises were pointing to something much, much greater. And they, they were pointing to Christ Jesus. And Abraham never got to experience that or see that, but yet he still believed in God. He had faith. And so I want us to, that's where I want us to, to think about the promises that come through Christ. These promises that come through Christ that Abraham is pointing to. Because Abraham's life and his faith are pointing to a day when God would form a new covenant. Old covenant, Old Testament God will form a new covenant people in this covenant. The picture we see in, or saw in Genesis 15 is God coming down and saying, if I'm not faithful to this covenant, then curses be upon me. Even greater than that, when you get to uh, the new covenant, we see that God becoming man and literally taking the curse of our sin upon himself so that we might be his people. And that is exactly what Galatians chapter 3, 13 and 14 talk about. Listen to what it says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to the nations, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And we're going to talk about that uh, in, in the days to come a lot more, uh, when, what it means to be a, a new covenant people. But, but suffice to say that Jesus said in John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And Abraham knew maybe not all the details. He didn't know everything that was going to happen, but he knew that God was doing something for, for people. It was greater than anything he could imagine in his own life. God was going to form a new covenant and a new covenant people, not just a promised inheritance on earth, but God was promising a greater inheritance in heaven. And so when we get this new covenant through Christ, it's not, hey, I'm going to give you this land, physical land. I'm giving you a land that is greater than this, and it's heaven. Praise the Lord for that, right? You talk about inheritance of land, I'll take that inheritance of, of heaven any day. And so God would give his people a promised inheritance in heaven. And the picture of the land of Canaan, the promised land, is wonderful and, and throughout Scripture, but it's incomplete, right? You, you think back when the spies go into it, into the, the promised land, they come back, and what do they say? Man, it's awesome, right? This land is great. It's a land flowing with what? Milk and honey, right? They got grapes. They got to carry on sticks, right? I love it, right? I mean, it's just a great land, but it is incomplete. Listen, communion with God, God's 
people in God's place would only be complete in a full and eternal reality through Christ and through the promise of heaven. And this is, this is even said of Abraham over in Hebrews 11, looking back over his life, uh, you think about what the author of Hebrews says about Abraham. He desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called his God, for God has prepared a city for him, an eternal city where we will dwell forever with God. Listen, this is a picture of a new covenant, a new place. That who God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that eternal life is in heaven. Amen? So inheritance in heaven, in that place, God will gather together a chorus of global praise. And I love this. Cliff was talking about the choir being full, you know, and that, it was good how young or and, and, and older people. I mean, it was just a great beautiful choir this morning i loved it but but from the very beginning of this picture of the the nation of israel the picture of god is saying throughout my people i'm going to bless all the people of the earth and all the people of the earth one day are going to praise god all people groups one day worshiping in heaven praising god can you can you imagine listen to what revelation 7 says 9 and 10 and i looked before me and saw a multitude that no one could count from every listen to this from every tribe every nation every language every people gathered around the throne singing isn't that a beautiful picture think about that every person from every tribe every nation every language singing salvation belongs to our god and to the lamb who sits on the throne And listen, the picture is just like God promised in Genesis 12. There's coming a day, literally every people group will be represented around the throne, having experienced the the blessings of salvation, singing the praises of God. That's the the only possible way that we we should worship the king. And and the only way we can do that is because the king is coming. Jesus is, is coming, this promise in Genesis, he's come to us today. He is the promised king. Which leads us to our faith as Christians. I love Romans 4 when Paul talks about Abraham's faith. He says, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. But then he says, listen to what he says. The words, it it was credited to him, uh, were not written for him alone, but also for us. For us who believe in Jesus, who, who raised our Lord from the dead, the reality that Scripture teaches is you and I can be credited as righteous if we believe in Jesus Christ ourselves. By faith. By believing in God. So, so what does it mean for you and I today to believe God? What does it mean for you and I to experience faith in the, in the same way that Abraham did? And, and well, first, my first encouragement is to let's receive and rejo- rejoice in God's grace. All right? That's what we need to do. We need to receive and listen to this, rejoice in, in God's grace. Abraham trusted in the sovereign grace of God. Let's do the same. Amen? Let's, let's do the same. Let's receive it. If you have never received the, the, the grace of God, I encourage you today, I urge you today to believe God. Believe God when he says that he loves you. Believe God when he says that he will forgive you of all of your sin and all of your unrighteousness. Believe God when he says that he will make you into a new creation. Listen, believe God when he says that he is the, the, the Lord and King and authority over your life who desires and deserves your worship and satisfies 
satisfies all of your desires. Believe God and receive his grace this morning if you have not. I urge you to. But also rejoice in it. Just think about this. You and I are part of a covenant family with God. We're a part of a plan of redemption that began with Abraham. You and I are part of the same line of people that has been redeemed by grace through faith. Let's rejoice in that, folks. Right? Let's rejoice. Thank you, Cliff. I appreciate that, okay? You're, you're one amen. I appreciate that. Let's rejoice in the fact that we are saved individuals if we have received his grace this morning. The very fact that we heard the gospel. Listen to me. The very fact that you one day heard the gospel and you received the gospel is evidence of God's sovereign grace in your life. So let's rejoice in that. Again, there's, there's millions of people who have never heard the gospel. Ever. Never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And we have been blessed to hear it multiple times. Have been given the opportunity to respond to it multiple times. That alone you ought to rejoice in. But the fact that we know Jesus and he loves us and has redeemed us and has forgiven us and loves us and desires something greater for us, we ought to rejoice in that. Second, let's trust and obey God's guidance. Trust and obey. We didn't sing that this morning. It's been really good. Trust and obey. Just as Abraham trusted in God's guidance, let's do the same in our lives. Listen, sometimes my, God may tell us, go here, do this, be there, give this god may tell us that and a lot of times i listen i've been there a lot of times we're going whoa whoa, i don't know about that i can't i don't know god about if i can give that i don't know if i can do that i don't know if i can surrender that god i've been there i've done that but listen when we hear the story of abraham when god told him to go to a place i don't even i'm not even gonna tell you where you're going yet you think about that you think about that listen you think about your husband or wife who come home and say let's pack our bags where are we going i don't know Think about that for a minute. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? God hadn't told me yet. He just told me to pack the bags and load the van and let's go. I can imagine what some of you would say, right? Let's call the doctor. Something ain't right. Can you imagine Sarah? Abraham saying, hey, God told me to leave. I don't know where we're going. But I'm going to trust and obey. You think about that song, we sing it all the time, right? Trust and obey. And if we're honest, it depends. I'll trust and obey as long as there's something I can see and touch and feel that's safe and secure. I'll trust and obey. But what if God said, I want you to go there? I don't know about that. I'm preaching to myself. I've been there. I've done that. Let's trust and obey in God's guidance. If God leads us, he will take care of us, right? I, I, I know I've told this many times before, but, you know, 11 and a half years ago, God called us here, and, and I was scared to death, literally scared to death. I didn't know y'all, you know? You hear stories of churches and preachers and never been there and done that before and didn't know what I was doing. Y'all sure didn't know what y'all were getting into, but I was scared to death, left a, a secure job, a, a secure place and a place of worship where people loved us, and, and God said, go. 
and I and I was scared to death. I mean, literally, I can I can I promise you, they were they were. It was months later. I'd still walk across the road from the house of the church, and I get across the road, and I go, God, are you sure about this? Still sure about this? And that kind of squeaky voice too. I did it just like that. But uh, and I think I really, God, are you sure? Is this what you desire? But I knew I had to trust in him, that he was going to take care of everything, and he has, and he continues to. And I just want to encourage you, whatever God calls you to do, trust and obey in his guidance. Next, let's continue to take radical risks. When we see Abraham forsaking it all, we see a picture of what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus calls us to renounce everything, give up everything, and follow him. That's what he tells us. Give up, right? Follow me. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. I think about William Carey. In, in 1793, he moved to England, uh, to Indi from England to India, and he spent the next 40 years there. He left his family, his land. He left his comforts. 40 years he lived there. Never once went back for furlough. He never in 40 years never went back to England. He stayed in India. Spent 40 years of his life there. His first wife passed away. His second wife passed away, went through all kinds of suffering. 20 years after he got there, after 20 years of ministry, he was translating Bibles, doing all kinds of work. And what happened? One day he was away from home, and there was a fire in his home where he lived. And he was, he was in Calcutta, and his home was in a place I can't pronounce, but he was, it was far away. And there was a fire there. It burned up his dictionary. He'd written numerous grammar books. He'd written the Bible translations that were in the process of being printed and one translation that he'd been working on for the last six years burned up. And he found out about it. So all this work he's poured his life into for 20 years, not everything he had done, but a vast majority of it burned up. And he found out about there had been this fire. And this is what he said. He said, in one short evening, the labors of years are consumed. How unsearchable are the ways of God. I have lately brought some things to the utmost of perfection, of which they, that, of which they seem capable in contemplating the ministry, I'm sorry, the minister, uh, missionary establishment with perhaps too much of self-congratulations. The Lord has laid me low that I might look more simply to him do, do, do you hear that that i might the picture here he believed in god that god is our reward and carrie's kind of mantra was expect great things from god attempt great things from god that was his mantra that's what he believed but don't miss the order here he said he said listen uh, great expect great things from god attempt great things for god and what carrie says he started to do was he started to attempt great things for god before he expected great things from god Trust God to give good things. And when you do, it overflows in radical risk. Attempt great things for God because we know that he is trustworthy. We know that he is good. And so let's continue to take radical risk as a church and let's continue to believe in the radical reward. And this is what I think. Think about this. What more do we need? We have this self self-promises, these, these encompassing promises of God. He will be with us. He will guide us. He will give us everything that we need at every moment. What great, those are great promises. Believe them. Believe in the great reward of following God. 
believe it. Again, I think about Jared and Jennifer. You know, they gave up everything to follow God's call into China. And they believed that the reward was more and better than anything, a job or a house or finances, the, the things that they would have had if they'd stayed here. They believed that the reward of God was greater and better than that. And they were satisfied and are satisfied in that. And then lastly, this is the last thing. Let's give our lives in demonstrating that faith. Let's spend our lives demonstrating our faith. In 1999, Graham Staines was a missionary who had been in India for 34 years. And he directed a leprosy mission. And after 34 years, he was in a car with his two sons, Philip, 10 years old, and Timothy, 6 years old. And they were all of a sudden mobbed by a group of radical Hindus. And that group of Hindus set their car on fire, and, and Graham Staines and his two sons were burned to death in their car. His wife Gladys and daughter Esther were left behind. And I want you to hear what Gladys, his wife, his widow, said a few days later after their death. These words were published in newspapers all across India. She said, I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, neither am I angry, but I have one great desire that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins. Everybody thought that she and her daughter, they were going to leave, that they would move home, but she said no. They had given their life to India. They knew God had called them to India. She said, my husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is our home. I hope to be here and to continue to serve the needy. And maybe most incredible, more incredible than that, her daughter Esther, 13 years old, she was asked about what happened to her dad, and she said, I, this is a 13-year-old now, she said, I praise the Lord that he, was, that he was found worthy to die. I, I, I praise the Lord that he was found worthy to die for him. It's good to die living by faith. Amen? And so as a church and as a new covenant people of God transformed by the grace of God, a God who is sovereign, a God that we can put our trust in, let's take radical risk let's wholeheartedly believe in the radical reward and let's spend our lives living by faith amen living by faith let's pray dearly father we come to you this morning thanking you for the promises that you have given us lord lord thanking you for the promises you have given us years and years and years ago that we can trust you god that we can trust in your goodness, in your grace, and your mercy. And God, this, this picture you've given us of Abraham, who sacrificed everything for you, Lord, I pray that that would be us. That, Lord, no matter what you call us to do, we would do. No matter call, what, where you call us to go, we would go. No matter what you call us to give up, we would give up simply because our faith in you. Let it be said of us, like it was said of Abraham, that we believed and it was accounted us as righteousness. Simply believe in faith. May we have that kind of faith. I pray, Lord, if there's one here who hasn't experienced the sovereign grace of you, that today that they would surrender their, their life to you, Lord. would come to know you as Savior and they would surrender their life to just following you. 
And Lord, I pray for us who here this morning who do know you that we would surrender our life and complete obedience and service to you. Whatever you call us to do, Lord, we would do. Simply because you are worthy. So help us to be who you've called us to be, Christ, in all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our hymn of invitation this morning? Number three.